It's Tuesday, August the 8th, 2023, and let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We begin with our scripture of the week, Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, and a piece entitled by me, Enough Already. And I'll be with uh, Pastor Emily uh, to talk about scripture and my encounter with a newsmaker. But first, a reading from Gospel according to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus had heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came and said to him, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fishes. He said to them, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and all ate and were filled. They took what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. An internet friend of mine introduced me to a new app called Too Good To Go. I love the premise. Restaurants and grocery stores often have items that don't sell at normal prices in normal time range. If you run a donut shop, you don't always sell all the donuts that you made in any given day. However, no one wants to pay full price for day-old donuts the next day. What do you do? Or as a grocer? Folks didn't buy as many bananas this week, and now you've got a bunch that have gotten too ripe to sell, but are perfectly edible. What do you do? Normally, you toss a lot of this stuff into the dumpster. Too Good To Go creates an alternative. You, as proprietor of a restaurant or grocery store, can list your leftover items for sale at extremely discounted prices. Folks logging in know that they're purchasing leftovers, select a specific shop to buy from, purchase the items that would have gone to waste, and show up to pick them up. You made some money on perfectly edible food that you would have junked, the customer saves some money, less food gets wasted, everybody wins! The people behind Too Good To Go want to help, but the existence of their service highlights the inequities and waste in the global food market. Feeding America estimates that the U.S. throws away nearly 40% of all its food, or about 130 billion meals. We could feed every one of the 7 billion people on this planet 18 meals each just on the food waste of one wealthy nation. We chuck day-old donuts, yesterday's leftover soup and salad special, Fish that smells slightly too fishy. Produce that looks weird, but would taste fine. Food that we bought, forgot about, and left to rot in a strange, undiscovered corner of our fridge. And the cake that we ordered too much of for the party. Americans are not unique in this regard. A lot of edible food never sees the mouths of hungry people. In the news today was a report of a drone attack by the Russians on the Ukrainian grain port at Odessa that has damaged or destroyed, according to the Ukrainians, 40,000 tons of grain destined for Africa and China. I, I don't pretend to understand the international politics of all of it, but it's still more edible food that will never get eaten. Meanwhile, food insecurity touches every corner of the globe. The Houston Food Bank reports that one in eight Texans suffer from some kind of food insecurity. The area where Servants of Christ is planted is largely a food desert with little access to good food. Urban areas in the U.S., a nation with vast resources, have it far better than other places in the developing world. Hundreds of millions of people still live on a dollar per day or less. When I worked in Kenya, I participated in malnutrition testing for USAID. 
we went to schools around our area on dirt bike taxis and tested the students for malnutrition. At one of the schools, 70% of the students were suffering from some degree of malnutrition. When I worked in Paraguay, we lived and worked in a food insecure community and ended up suffering from it as well. I've been blessed and spent a lifetime as a fat and well-fed middle-class American. That summer of living on 1,200-ish calories per day did strange things to my mind. It also gave me a visceral introduction to how so many millions of people, even in my own state, even in my own community, have to live all the time. In feeding the 5,000 plus, Jesus compassionately fills the bellies of the hungry and the downtrodden. The story gets related in all four Gospels, but Matthew ties it in with Herod Antipas's murder of John the Baptist. They flow one story straight into the other. Jesus hears of John's death, the crowds keep following him, they end up starving and without resources, Jesus feeds them. In his Feasting on the Word exegesis of this passage, J. Wu Li points out the contrasts. Herod Antipas, powerful ruler and Roman sympathizer, holds a meal for the powerful, and someone dies. Christ holds a meal for the sick and suffering who sought him out, and they receive love, compassion, and sustenance. Lee frames this as an image of two different kingdoms, one of this world and one of God. In God's kingdom, the hungry get fed. So, as we already know, we ain't there yet. The continued existence of hunger, especially in a world of plenty, should serve as a yardstick of how far from God's kingdom that we find ourselves. I know that the existence of a lot of food in one place and not enough food in another stems from a mountain of factors from geography to geopolitics to macroeconomics to global logistics networks to cultural differences to peculiarities of the health code. Still, on a theological level, I find it galling. We live in a moment in history where, at long last, enough food exists to feed the planet. And yet, so many know hunger. So, what do we do as individuals in the face of global inequality? Committing to only eating day-old donuts and slightly too ripe bananas feels more than mildly insufficient. Certainly, there are any number of local or international charities working on food insecurity. In Servants of Christ's own corner of southeast Houston, Finche Tres Robles is an urban farm trying to get healthy and affordable produce into this food desert of ours. Theologically, following Christ means living for others, not just ourselves. Thus, we should approach our own lives and way of living to facilitate the goals of God's kingdom. If we desire to live in a world where all have enough, we should take only what we need. Paul used this approach as a missionary in the first century, as he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at last, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. We love Philippians 4.13. But ignore its context. Christ strengthens Paul to live simply and be content. I confess that I am not there yet and need to hear this as much as anyone. I have not risen to Paul's level of contentment in God in all circumstances. I still suffer from the bug of conspicuous consumption. Also, making this leap in our faith merely constitutes a first step. Seeking your own simplicity will not, in and of itself, feed the hungry. 
it does mean that we start leaving more for others, contributing to others' potential abundance rather than robbing from it. The less that we consume and waste opens up opportunities for others to have more, for more people in God's kingdom to be fed. So as you just heard in the piece that I wrote, we are looking at the feeding of the 5,000 and looking at this relationship between, you know, God's provision and what it means to have enough. And, you know, both in the sermon and in the essay, what I call the essay, the piece, um, it looks at, yeah, this is a miracle about Jesus miraculously multiplying things. And I, I don't, I don't want to take away that read, right? That's in there, right? That is, the, that's the literal surface. And, you know, this miracle is recorded essentially the same way in all four Gospels. And so, you know, one can take it as that's just essentially how the story goes. But I don't want us to get hung up on just sometimes Jesus miraculously provides. That's true. But to get into that bigger conversation of how does God provide? And one of the ways that God provides, and this is where we've launched into a series called the Divine Provisions Co. And so we're going to be looking at over and over again at this idea of God providing. And part of God providing in this context is not like, not all, it's not always like just miraculous manna from heaven. Sometimes it is the moving of people to be a part of providing for others, providing for the world, doing the thing, right? That it's not just, you know, there was nothing and now there's something. Those kinds of things happen, but that's not actually what happens in the Feeding of the 5,000 we don't start with no bread and now there's bread. You start with someone offering up what meager they have, and then it goes explosive from there. And that's part of this beautiful idea that God's math is not our math, that God's abundance is not limited by, um, by our worldly constraints. Um, but it's also part of this upside down kingdom yeah. Yeah, of yeah. God that we talk about, right? It's not, uh, I like that you talked about the, the party of Herod Antipas and the, yeah. you know, the rich and powerful, um, where not everybody was served. And then there's well, not every, this. It's not just, not everyone was served, <laughs> but a dude got killed. Somebody actually gets beheaded, right? Um, and then there's, you know, this feeding of the 5,000 plus, because right. again, we're not counting women and children in this number of 5,000. And this happens multiple times in scripture too. This is not the only feeding of the 5,000. Um, but this is, you know, one of the places where we see God's generosity through the actions and the willingness of the people who are there, right? Through this young lad. Right. Yeah. So, John, so it's, it, it's John's telling, um, I, I, there's this wonderful tool that most preachers have. Um, that is, um, all of the, the gospel stories, all the gospel, right, the parallels, the, the all parallels. the gospel parallels. So I, I pulled yes. up cause it was like, I know, I know about the young lad. The young yes. lad isn't here. Where is that young lad? And the young lad, he's in over John. in John. He's over yeah. in John. Um, John writes him down. So, but, but in all of them, this is, it was actually really cool to see that this, this is one of those stories where it's all, you have a column for Matthew, a column for Mark, a column for Luke, and a column for John. This is one of those yes. stories where all, you've got all four columns represented. And in all four columns, you, in each version, there's the loaves and the fish show up, right? Yes. It is not, it, again, it is not, oh my God, there's no food. It's, oh my God, there's not enough food. And so do we have to, you know, this is the, you know, is this going to dissolve into Woodstock 69? What happened, you know, (laughs) the, the, like, you know, one of the downsides and also Woodstock 99, both of those Woodstocks, um, you have a real, like, all of these people have shown up. There's not enough. And, you know, at Woodstock 69, you, you see that, you know, some of the feeding of the 5,000 happens where, like, you know, there's a lot of sharing. At Woodstock 99, eventually they uh, literally burn it down. 
Uh, <laughs> there are two great documentaries on this. Um, uh, uh, Emily, we, you and I both know someone who was there. Um, uh, actually, a former a podcast podcast co-host of mine um, mm-hmm. uh, on Scripture Talk, uh, a previous version of the show, um, was there at Woodstock '99, um, and so I would tease him about it. But they, you know, their response to there not being enough is essentially they get really mad and they burn it to the ground. Right. Um, and so, like, is the like you know the the disciples come to Jesus with the. Well, the, I guess they don't. I guess Jesus knows about Woodstock '99 because he sees across all time and space, <laughs> right? But like the disciples don't know that this could very rapidly become Woodstock '99, um, right? And they're like, "Hey, do we want to let this party go before this becomes Woodstock '99?" Um, and and Jesus puts it to them, "No, you feed them. You do it." You, I love how snarky yeah. Jesus is right there, right? He's like, "No, no, you got this. You got it. Yeah, you got this. Right? You, got you feed them." And, and you can what you, you can imagine you can imagine you know I, I I a lot of a lot of my playwriting has been dramatizing dramatizing like screen scenes in scripture right um, this is what uh, the uh, catnip for boomers the chosen um, it's I, I've watched it a little bit it, it is very well done but it, it what it it is. it is a lot I just most of the people who ask me have you seen the chosen are boomers. Um, are and of a certain generation. Are of a certain age. generation. Or, or like yeah. this leaks into like some Gen Xers. Um, but there's not a lot of Zoomers on the bottom going, have you seen the chosen? No. Um, right. Anyways. Um, You're not going to make a children's curriculum using the chosen. Yeah. And it's, but <laughs> it is it is another one of those trying to dramatize it, right? Try to fill in those blanks. And so on. And I've had to do a lot of that kind of writing too. And you can imagine this interplay, right? There are. The disciples' instinct does not come from a bad place. It's like, hey, we don't want these people to starve. We're out in the literal desert. Um, you know, we don't want these people to starve. And so they come to Jesus like, hey, so I guess, we, you know, I, I guess the party's over. It's the party's over, man. And then Jesus is like, no, you do it. And you can, you can just, like, see them. You can see their brains break. Even in the, like, you know, New Testament, which often provides such sparse detail because it's ancient writing and pens are expensive. Um, and so, like, you don't get a lot of, like, you know, flowery language or detailed description. That's just not in language yet. Um, and so even in the sparse language of the New Testament, you just get – you see their brains just utterly break and go, huh? What we, do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean, Jesus? <laughs> there are, like – there's – let's call it 10, 10 to 15,000 people here, right? You got to figure most of those dudes had wives and most of those people would have children. And so you're looking at like 10, 15,000 people easy. And there are and, five loaves and two fishes. But I love that John includes the young lad part yeah. because who else other than some dumb kid right. is going to go, well, here, I got this, you know, well, and you this can is- use this. You know, like, who I, else I, would have spoken up and said, you can have these five loaves and two fish? This is one of those. I don't often use my children as sermon illustrations because it's it's their own lives. But there was a, you know, uh, we're actually going to talk about this in the second segment of the show. But, like, there was a time when uh, you and I both were running a very broke church. Um, and, like, the the financial, you know, I, 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 someone was teasing me that I don't have gray hairs and that's not true this person was just shorter than me and i've never seen them um but they're all after church budgets right um and so like the stress of church finance it's like you know we were talking about it at home and so my son got really into the idea of donating his piggy bank to the church right mm-hmm. and and like because I'm trying not to turn my children into walking breathing sermon illustrations um because I, I really want them to like choose it when it comes time to feel like they had a choice in this faith life, um, I would love for them to make faith a part of their lives. But I also don't want to be, I never liked people in my life being overbearing about things. I was blessed. I had a father who would certainly want me to make decisions, but never said, Hey, you've got to do what I'd anyways. Um, And so he said it once and I, I, you know, Oh, that would be really nice. And then I don't mention it again. And then he comes back a few days later and is like, no, I'm going to do this. And he does, right? Like he, and he had, we, he had gotten a role of, he probably, he's like five. And so he probably didn't know, he was five then, he's eight now. Um, he probably didn't know the value of this thing. He'd gotten a roll of quarters for Christmas. And so there was probably 20 bucks in there. Um, 
and he got it got it right just for the pandemic and never got to take it to the arcade um and so he ended up he donates his pinky bank to the church right um as that like the young lad right um and that is you know some time and i you know i would love if that story then and then that church's financial problems all went away and that's probably not true um because not everything wraps up that neatly but i'll tell you that church you know made it and is making it right yeah um and so we all yeah yeah you have that like super you can imagine that as i saw my own five-year-old right like this like the super innocent of like is this enough and like it's clearly not and an adult mind like why even bother adult skepticism why even bother like would you even have spoken up like this isn't gonna make a difference so why even give it why why to this young lad Hey, I got this. Do you want it? You you can you <laughs> can, can imagine this? you can imagine the disciples are going around like surveying like, "Hey, do you have any f- do you have any food? <laughs> do you have any food? Dude, <laughs> do you have any food? Like we're trying to figure out how much food is here." And you can imagine that like, you know, that young lad just felt moved by that. And was like, "Well, yeah. I have food." Um, and it's an absurdly little amount of food. And you can even imagine his mother is probably like, why are you, what, oh, here he goes again. Jesus. Right, um, right. You know, why you got to be like that kid? Um, and then that's what ends up, you know, Jesus is able to take that and miraculously multiply it. Because God can use whatever we have, if we will, give it over to God and let God do what God does, which is make things radically abundant in the kingdom of God. Well, and this is where you can read this miracle one of two ways, right? You can read this miracle as Jesus just miraculously multiply. Like this is just because again, th- these things happen, right? right? We I, I don't want to I don't want to. So okay, the Thomas Jefferson Bible, which comes up a weird amount in my life. Thomas Jefferson rewrote the New Testament um, mm-hmm. to take out all the miracles. He's a deist. He's a man of the of the Enlightenment thinks of himself as an incredibly enlightened man. And so from his perspective, the only problem with the Bible is it's just so unbelievable. It's so unscientific. Um, loves the, like, moral lessons that Jesus has to offer. But, like, if only he didn't miraculously make bread happen. And so <laughs> Thomas Jefferson writes his own version of the Bible um, by cutting out the miracles, okay? Um, and le- essentially leave- cut out the miracles and leave the parables. Um, so I don't want to do that. Right, because what I'm going to propose is still miraculous, but there's two ways to read this story. Right, one way to read it is just read it straight. Of hey, he just made bread. Ha- Someone showed up with bread. He took that one gift and miraculously, in an unsci- in an unscientific miracle, just broke the rules of the universe and multiplied it. God does this sometimes. Absolutely, not every miracle needs a scientific explanation. I don't need every miracle to have a scientific explanation. It's very clear from the gospel writers. Like, the, like you're not going to find that scientific explanation for the resurrection. He just dead, and then he just ain't. This ain't a Romeo and Juliet situation. He just dead, and then he ain't. No, that isn't scientifically possible. That's the point. Um, okay. Correct. So with all of those caveats, here's another way to read it. Yo, a lot of other people had food, and they were hiding it. Yep. Yo, there was food there. Right? Did all did ten thousand people really show up with that food? No, no. That's the thing that's unbelievable, right? right? That all of these people wandered out in the desert without snacks, but right. not everyone. A good chunk of people were not going to have enough. But right. Jesus knew that there was enough food there, and that one young lad. That how you know as identified in John, that one person with the five loaves and two fishes said was the first person who could say, yeah, I don't have enough, but you can have what I have. And then that spirit moved among all the other people with snacks in their bag. And actually and there was... It became enough. It became enough. And there enough. was actually enough for people. And I, and I want to be clear, both of, the, both of those versions of the story are valid and both are miracles. Yes. Right? One is just, I can explain it scientifically. And one is, sometimes God breaks the rules of science and that's fine. Yes. But I, it's the same message either way. And I kind yeah. of, you, you can probably tell which one I prefer in this case. I actually prefer that it, there was enough food there. And it's people just, chose to become generous. And people t- were moved miraculously yeah. to become generous because one person moved 
And then Jesus took that one act of kindness and multiply it by moving the crowd. It's interesting. He has them take the traditional uh, worship, like teaching position for a rabbi to students that has them all Mm -hmm. sit down. Right. Like we think of worship in like the the Christian context, which again, I I say this a lot. The uh, earliest images of Christian worship we have from the catacombs in Rome um, they're raising their hand like the, it is the yes, and the and the the rabbi is the one sitting right, and the crowd is the one standing up. Yes, because but we've reversed that role. Yeah, we've reversed that, that role. Um, and it's, so he he had like there's clearly a teaching element happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is interesting that so th- to me that is part of where you could say he's going to use this as a lesson, and they're going to get moved by this lesson. Yeah. Here, I have this. I offer it to you. Yes. What do you have to offer? Are you have moved you, by this? Have you read? It's a children's book. I've, apparently, I've read a lot of children's books lately. Apparently, having children will do that to you. But, yeah, um, it turns out. <laughs> but have you read the children's book, Stone Soup? Yes. Yeah, yeah, It's that same idea, right? There's a famine in the land. A gentleman comes in and says, it's okay. I can make soup from a stone. Gets a big boiling pot of water, puts a stone in it. Says, you know what would be really, yeah, really uh-huh. good though? Yeah. Is if you added some carrots and someone said, Oh, I've got a couple carrots. And well, you know what would make it extra good is if you added some potatoes. With another person, oh, I've got a potato. By the end of the story, it's a great big beautiful soup, and everybody in the village has enough right. because of this generosity, because there was this spirit of community that happened. That is a miracle, right? Um, like in the feeding of the five thousand. Well, and that's where, like, you know, that's, I, I didn't, and I don't necessarily know why I didn't, but, like, this is kind of where I was leading with the essay, is, like, especially for us in this world of enough, in this world, there is enough food to yes. go around. that It exists. Yes. We throw a ton of it away. Um, we, you know, I love that, you know, I, I, those statistics are, like, I pulled those statistics directly from Feeding America, right? Like, there is um, enough, we throw away almost as much food as we eat, right? We, fo- we throw away 40% of all food. Um, Which is just mind-boggling. I was at a, um, a potluck um, at Fincha Tres Robles, this urban farm that's in our mission field. Um, and and you know, I mentioned them briefly in the piece, but Fincha Tres Robles, like one of their things is, yeah, yeah, they want to grow food, but they want to grow food as a way of advocating about the fact that we live, that we operate in a food desert. Right. Um, that, you know, here in, you know, it's, it's fascinating. So we're on the ship channel. We're essentially on Houston's ship channel. We're like one of the major arteries of goods. Um, we're actually a major coffee port. It's fun. Um, but like we're a major artery for goods that get into the United States. And yet uh, directly next to where these cargo ships are unloaded, often with food that we're importing, it's a food desert. There's not a grocery store. Um, yeah. There's not access to health, affordable access to healthy food. Healthy food. That's the key. Yeah. Is that it's not that there's no food. It's that there's not nutritiously sufficient food for right. the people who are living there. Access to it anyway. Because there is like, you know, Tommy Garcia Pratt, just the guy who, uh, one of the guys who runs it, uh, you know, makes this point of just like, for some reason, it is cheaper. So I want to follow you on a journey of the average soda drink for a second, okay? <laughs> um, a soda um, starts its life as an ear of corn in the Midwest. That ear of corn um, gets harvested with a giant machine. Um, that corn, which itself is nutritious food, is then processed in a chemical plant-like manner into what we call high-fructose corn syrup, which mm-hmm. is... Let us essentially, uh, it is unfermented corn liquor. Ethanol, by the way, is just, so the <laughs> ethanol and gasoline is just corn liquor. Like, yeah. we, we call it ethanol. All right, this is 10% ethanol. Yeah, your gasoline is like 10% corn liquor. Um, yeah. That's what ethanol is. It's, it's, it is alcohol, ethanol, made from corn. It, literally, it's corn liquor. Um, anyways, um, so that's the fermented version. Unfermented corn liquor is high fructose corn syrup. Um, yep. 
That then goes to another chemical plant, gets blended with flavor agents and artificial color, gets combined with water. That then goes to a bottling plant that gets bottled. Um, and that might be at the local level. It might get bought. The corn didn't grow here, but Coke has some of the best, whatever, in the world, best distribution in the world. And so it's yeah. probably bottled relatively locally. And then gets dropped off at a, gets, you know, delivered as part of a distribution deal to your local convenience store. That is cheaper than like a zucchini grown 30 miles from there. Yep. Right. That's like it's that, that it's elaborate insane. process that I just described. And so this is this is what Fintatris Robles is trying to do. But that get like a lot of that just gets me thinking about how many people go hungry every day in a world that is fundamentally able. You know, we, we, we look at starvation and go, you know, oh, my God, how can God allow this? Truth is, is, is God made this world able to support us. And yes. we don't actually have a problem growing food to support the human population. There's whatever, 7 billion people in this world. And this world is capable, even in this, like, I, I'm, as I'm slowly sweating, it's like 85 degrees in my studio. So in this, like, <laughs> even in this, like, climate change impacted world, we're able to grow enough food. Yes. The issue is distribution. The issue is not 100%. supply. One hundred percent. And and it's not easy, even if you have local farmers markets, even if you have, you know, people that you can support, it is difficult with inflation to be able to afford to continue to grow the food that you wish to sell at the farmers market. Well, then um, it becomes in your local farmers market, you know, it becomes difficult even to give away your extra food. Right. So yes. um, there is this weird not weird, very purposeful law here in the city of Houston that like limits how many people you can feed in like a public handout food thing. So um, I think it was make food, not bombs. Some local organization had been feeding um, folks outside the main public library here in Houston for like decades, just because yeah, I was actually, I was at the public library this weekend um, and uh, cause it's free and air conditioned. What a thing. Um, and like, there's a lot of unsheltered people hang out there cause it's free and air conditioned. What a thing. Um, mm -hmm. and so this organization, which I believe is make food, not bombs, um, had been just doing feeding there for decades and never gotten in trouble for it. And then all of a sudden the city clamped down, started applying this law. Now they actually beat the ticket out. They're not, they didn't actually like they were ar like arrested or ticketed and like, anyways, they got off, but like. It just highlights that, like, there's food for people. But if you just give food away to the unsheltered, well, now you're creating a public nuisance. And, oh, my God, more unsheltered people would come here and heaven forbid they eat. Right. right? In a world that makes enough food. And this isn't even, you know, having having lived very briefly in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, okay. I, like, I understand it's really hard to get U.S. leftover grain to Kenya. I can... Right. Right. But there's a distribution problem there. There's a distribution but... problem that is beyond my understanding. But why in Texas are one in eight people food insecure? Right. That should not happen. That should is... Should not, and yet it does. And yet it does, right? And so that's where... This my other version of the feeding the five thousand becomes not just a oh my god Jesus miraculously provided again he definitely did to get in the mechanics of how Jesus can miraculously provide and challenge us to be a part of that miracle to overcome our own you know insecure selfish natures to be radically generous, to ensure that there is enough for all instead of just enough for me. I mean, this is the difference between like what we call Charmageddon, right? The toilet paper oh, yeah. run oh, of the That pandemic. was almost, so that was almost my sermon Comical. intro. Comical. Well, and 100% right? preventable. So 
That was the alternate. I didn't open the sermon this way, but that was almost (laughs) the opener of the sermon. And maybe it should have been. So the, uh, 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 we're going to have to talk about poop. Uh, Content warning. Going to talk very briefly about poop for a second. Um, But as the good book says, everybody poops. Um, So humans poop at a really predictable rate. Um, And uh, Georgia Pacific and all these companies that make uh, uh, toilet paper know exactly at what rate humans poop. Um, And like, there are seasonal variations based on based on what whatever like Stomach normal flus and whatever. bugs, right? Normal Stomach flus, things. et cetera, right? Um, and uh, you can't ship a toilet paper really far because it's so light and so bulky that the transportation costs are dumb, right? Like, and so it's all within a few hundred miles of your house. Your toilet paper mm-hmm. is rel- made relatively local to you, um, mm-hmm. and it's really predictable. Um, and COVID doesn't really alter the way you poop. At um, all. Or, 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 like, some people... COVID does a lot it's of random things. Ebola. It's, it's not, not it, it, Ebola. It's, it's like not it's, Ebola. It's not E. coli. Like, it just... E. coli, like, yeah. Very few people... And I've had COVID three times. Um, it's true. I have a different... I, I have a different long COVID symptom from each time. Um, but, like, it just... It affects a lot of you, but very seldom is it digestive. So, right. like... COVID didn't make us all start pooping more. Um, it it just made us panic. It just made us panic. It made us panic that there was not going to be enough resource. Enough resource which, for a thing that we don't actually need, right? I understood why there was a shortage of disinfectant, especially early in the pandemic when we really thought that that was going to be helpful. That right. supply chain is different, and, like, that is at least gets closer to a survival instinct. Right. This is purely a comfort instinct. And, and we like, we just failed. We just failed as a society. As a society, we did not do well during the pandemic. Of taking care of each other. And and like toilet paper, like we we can talk about like all the vaccine stuff that happens later and that gets really different. And, you know, it is like whatever. Like I don't even want to deal with that. The public health part of my brain needs to just not. Um I don't even but mean toilet that. paper. It was toilet paper. But right? it was like, toilet paper. It, like, why was it toilet paper? Why was that the thing? Right. And why was there not enough to go around? When like, I understand why there weren't enough. The same question. I understand why there weren't enough webcams. Who knew that everyone was going to need a webcam all at the same time? Right. Right. I understand why there weren't enough graphics cards. Same. Right. Like, you know, trust me, I'm trying to build all these streaming systems for churches and I can't find my supplies because everyone needs them. Cool, cool, cool. I get it. Your need for toilet paper didn't change. Correct. All it was was being worried that we weren't going to have enough and making sure that we get ours without any thought of uh, what anyone else is going to need. And that's where we have to step back and go, huh, is that a Christian instinct? So the real miracle is in this okay. feeding of the 5,000. Uh-huh. Or at least part of it. That there was generosity. There was generosity. Right. right. there was radical generosity from the young lad and then. And then maybe from in this, 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 this kind of version that I frame it of like, and maybe then the crowd was moved and that's the miracle. Right. Or then Jesus responds. Either way, food. Jesus yes. responds, right? Like Either however, way, however we want to frame this miracle, that's part of the miracle. And part of the challenge from this miracle to me is for us to recognize the role that we can have in somebody else having enough right you know i get that like we've got to eat you know the the classic from air from getting on airplane right put on your own oxygen mask first and then help another right like i i'm not you know i i'm not going clearly i'm not going on a hunger strike here we got to eat right um i get that but also we live in a world where there's enough food. We live in a, we lived in a country even in you know April of 2020 when you know everyone's buying bidets. Um, this this is you know was a, you know what we did was give the the biggest windfall ever to manufacturers of bidets in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know there would be that much poop stuff on this episode, did you? When you turned in, ha, gotcha. Uh, 
<laughs> but like, That's there was cute. enough toilet paper. There was enough. Right. And there it, is enough food. There, there is enough food. There is enough. Is It's being content with enough. Right. Not and excess, but enough. enough. And understanding that regardless of whatever economic system you live in, as a Christian person, you, we, I, we are all responsible for the world. Right? We are... Because we are many Christs. We are the body of Christ. We are part of God's provision mechanism for the world. We have this responsibility to, when we have enough, then share so that we may be somebody else's miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Right? The like, you know, oh my God, I, you know, I, I remember... I was an associate pastor um, and uh, making minimum or minimum salary, which essentially meant for it was a family of three living on minimum salary, uh, which uh, qualified. We could qualify for food stamps. Um, You know, there's uh, some real rich pastors and there's a lot of real broke pastors. Um, And it was December and things were tough. Um, And miraculously, like some members of my congregation showed up at our house with a, you know, like a whole like catering whatever those are called like catering tray worth of tamales like it wasn't like a small plastic bag full of tamales it was an absurd amount of tamales for three people Um, that's an incredible christmas gift it was an incredible anybody can show up to my house with that any day right and it was one of those like they had they had made uh, enough for their family and a bunch extra and they're like hey we're gonna go share it with our pastor and like that made a huge difference for us that christmas um and it was because some Christian people were like, well, you know, uh, we could eat even more tamales. I bet they ate plenty of tamales that year, but like we could eat even more tamales. Um, or like, hey, we can, you know, I, you know, let's go help, you know, Pastor Trey and his family. And like we, we yeah. were on the receiving end of it. And it was absolutely miraculous. Um, and it really mattered. And it came from that not just Jesus zapping food into existence. It came from a multiplication of the generosity of God. Yes. Um, and that is as good a place as any. I'm going to go become mildly less sweaty. Um, and uh, then we will uh, continue on with our uh, next segment on how to restart a church. Uh, we'll be right back. we're back uh for a segment uh that we call how to restart a church and and generally this is our kind of place to talk about the the work that we are doing as uh we as servants of christ um attempt to do literally that to restart a church and to to share what we're learning and the theologies and the methodologies and whatever right like there's a lot of churches out there that find themselves on the back foot for whatever reason they don't get the luxury of just cleanly starting anew, um, and they've got to restart. Um, uh, and I say that like we servants of Christ, because I uh, so I was uh, cruising my news feed. I have a very weird news feed. Uh, the Religion News Service (RNS) is a part of my news feed because I need to know what what's happening in church world. Um, and I come across this article entitled "Left Behind by Disaffiliation: Texas Towns United Methodist Church." United Methodists charter a new church. All seven United Methodist churches in this city in the pan- Texas panhandle voted to leave the county's second largest pro- country's second largest pro- denomination. An 83-year-old U- UMC minister became determined that UMC wouldn't become extinct in Amarillo. And then there's this picture that includes a person I know. It includes the yeah. person on the other side of this podcast. That's me, uh, fifth from the left there. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, uh, I am blessed that uh, 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 Pastor Emily is working with us here, working largely remotely uh, with us here at Servants of Christ, uh, but you have a secret double life um, <laughs> where you are working um, alongside um, this new church start. So you're restart, restarting churches is like all you do, right? I know. It, it's it's a weird season of my life where I'm in multiple places with different kinds of new church starting, you know, ministries. 
And so I'll yeah. give a little bit of history. We've, t- we've touched on this before. I kind of pray that non-United Methodists are listening to the show. This is not meant to be like a, Lord knows no one needs a United Methodist Church Insider Baseball podcast, right? Like no one needs that. Um, uh, so for those of you who are not United Methodist, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, we, as a denomination, are still in the midst of like a, a, a malarkey. We're like a very... A small but meaningful chunk of churches are leaving to go do a different thing, and we we bless them on their way. Um, and then, uh, you know, about eighty percent of us remain, but now differently allocated. And up in Northwest Texas, where you are, um, a much higher percentage of folks left than say here in Houston, uh, where a much lower percentage of folks left. Right, and this particular part of Texas where we moved. Um, When we moved up here as a United Methodist pastor, you know, I'm looking for where is the local church that I'm going to start attending? You know, usually there's more than one United Methodist church to choose from. And I start looking around and calling and, you know, hey, are you are you sticking around? Are you remaining United Methodist? And the answer was no Um, to to all of them. There there were none. Um, but there was this extremely faithful remnant of people uh, who were dedicated to remaining United Methodists, to having this uh, big tent theology. Um, and they were being led by this beautiful retired uh, minister, Margie McNear, who is fabulous. Um, and she and uh, several other retired clergy and, and people came on board to... Um, start meeting in, well, they started in a nursing home and then they uh, uh, moved, they're now being housed in a, a Presbyterian sanctuary. Um, but it's it's been beautiful watching them grow from just this small remnant to now there's 150 people at their charter service. That's amazing. Um, there's There were 101 people in worship this last week, um, all in just the matter of a few months. So it's been it's been great to see all of these folks come together for this united vision. Um, and everyone in the room is United Methodist on purpose. Um, yeah. They have chosen that. Uh, and so that's been a really wonderful thing uh, is it's a very unified congregation. So they're able to accomplish quite a bit. Well, but then, you know, you and I, you know, cause I, I was I, I get pulled into this conversation because I, I design, you know, streaming video systems for small and medium sized <laughs> churches. And so I, I, I end up this conversation too, very, very small part. Um, but talking about that in uh, Northwest Texas, geography just be different, right? Uh, I, you know, uh, I, you and I, you're from Abilene. Uh, you you uh, took us on a mission trip to Abilene. <laughs> and what I walked away from that is like, I am used to, I've, I've lived in East Texas. I've lived in Central Texas. I went to college 1,200 miles from home. I am used to a certain kind of long distance driving, maybe more so than most humans. In Northwest Texas, that's just different. Um, and so talk a little bit about like, what role this kind of church in Amarillo is having to serve because of the nature of the geography of where y'all are. So yes, when you measure distance in hours and not miles, um, it's a little bit different up here. Uh, but the model that they're working off of is not one that's new. It's, it's actually very old. It's a circuit rider model, right? It's what we United Methodists it's what Methodists started doing. It's also what um, Paul, like it goes back it's to what Paul, Paul did, it's what Paul did, right? right? Like, right. It's these missionary journeys. Um, and so the main idea behind what will happen up here is there will be hub churches um, with spokes that will help send pastors and resources and people um, as needed to these smaller places out in rural North Panhandle, Texas. Um, some as far as, you know, 90 and a hundred miles away, Wow, that's a good, you know, three hour round trip on a Sunday if you live in Amarillo. Um, but modern technology being what it is, this is why it's important to have live streaming services. It's why it's Trey has been brought on board to help, um, facilitate really good high quality production, 
uh, because that matters a lot more when the person that you see, you don't actually see in person. Yeah. Um, you see them on a screen. Um, and so how we can stay connected, how we can um, help these smaller congregations, these other remnants in these smaller towns to stay together, to be resourced, um, to, to do the work of the kingdom in their small corner of the world. Well, but I think, I think it applies, like, this is something born out of this, this initiative, right, is born out of a weird moment in Methodist history that we find ourselves in, and the fascinating geography of Northwest Texas. <laughs> Just truly, fa- like, it is, um, if you l- listening to this show and live on the East Coast, it would be like, what if the... You live in New York City, and your pastor is in Pencil is in Philadelphia, right. right? Like, or if you live in Europe, um, this is like, what if your pastor is in Amsterdam and you live in Luxembourg City? Like, that's two countries away, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. the geography of Northwest Texas is just—it uh, is unlike almost anywhere else. Um, but like, I think this speaks to this broader question of what is church, right? Mm -hmm. There's this interesting series on Disney plus called Forky asks a question. Um, Forky, (laughs) the character from toy story four, like asks like basic questions, but like, Like, what is a friend? What is money? What is like, but it's often like, what is friend? And so I often, when I say that, like I I think about like, that always is in the Forky voice of what is church? What uh, is church? <laughs> what is church? Right? This is an interesting question as we can no longer, I guess this goes back to what we're always saying, but like we can no longer assume even that you, that church is the people you meet with in a box, even if that box is a restaurant, right? Like what we've talked right. about, what we're trying to do. Um, even if that box is a coffee shop, that's still like, it's just a, I think of it as a better box. It's a box I want to be in more. But. <laughs> Church may not even be this box, like meeting in a better box. Right. Church may be, um, there's a, a, an initiative that we're, I, a lot of us know about called Simple Church, but like it may even be this like, yeah, there's a hub. There's someone who's driving like a, like a lesson curriculum and they may be in a box or they may not. A, a checkpoint church. Um that I talked to in developing some of the digital stuff. Like he's, his is a purely digital church. Um, and like, you know, it has things. Different that kind like, of box like this. Like, uh, yeah. It's, it's a rectangle. It's, it's, it's a 16 right? by nine box. There you um, go. And, 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 you know, and we are here together in a 16 by nine box. We've had four hours of meetings this week together in this 16 by nine box. Yes, um, we have. But it is like this just totally like, reconstructing what it means to be church boiling it down to it's a religious community that is connected in some way that's sharing in a curriculum set by a we use the word pastor i know other people have other words but like set (laughs) by like a religiously trained person um but like it is like what's so cool about what y'all are doing it is this gloriously amorphous thing that's much more equipped to just respond to the modern world rather than saying, yes. no, 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 you meet in this box. And you have to have a worship and you have to have a Sunday school hour and you have to have this program and that program. All of that model is out the window. There is a, a group of people meeting up here in a grooming salon nice. um, because <laughs> two it. of the members own it and yeah. they want to be able to bring their dogs to worship. And so it is. Everybody can yeah. come. Everybody and their dog. Everyone and their dog. Right. Can come um, to these worship times that they have together. And so it's not about recreating church just in a different space, um, church as you have known it. It's about being nimble. It's about responding to where the Holy Spirit is and, you know, catching that fire and seeing where that goes. Um, so it's it's an interesting time to be in this part of the world. Yeah. Um, it's also strange because, you know, I'm part of this congregation that is searching for a, a 
place to worship. And then I'm part of this Servants of Christ who is, you know, getting different places of worship. There's all, all sorts of real estate changes yeah. happening yeah. all over. But but realizing that God is not limited by real estate, right? That God is already there in the grooming salon, yeah. in the God-shaped box, in, um, you know, whatever it is that you are, where two or three are gathered, right? right. That is well, where God is. And so being able to move in that and be innovative in that. And like you don't, and I, and I saw this, you know, we've seen this with like, like the, the success of church in Africa and South America, a lot mm-hmm. of it has been, hey, we're just going to worship uh, sitting underneath this tree today because um, there's not the resources even to throw up a building yet. Right. Um, or like we constructed this weird shack thing. This is church now, right? Like it is, it is so much like beyond just like, what we've thought of it forever, right? Here's the church, here's right. the steeple, open the door and see other people. But also like reliant on, well, you definitely need like 40 people to gather together, not, and to you hear all, three it, worship songs yeah. and then to pass a plate and then to hear one person stand up and talk. And then, yeah. But even like, and this is where it starts to like, we learn from other digital communities, right? Like you are not because you, we can no longer assume that like, yo, everyone goes to church, right? No, no. So you may be like when it is now really common to be a star Wars fan. But when I was in fifth grade, um, the like star Wars had hit hard for me and like my friends at my old school, but then I moved countries and moved back to the United States to a new school and no one was very few people were into Star Trek or Star Star Trek or Star Wars, either of them, honestly. Um, but Star Wars was more front of mind at that time. Um, and but I found that like two other people at my little school and we would talk about Star Wars all the time. Right. Yes. And so we would have it's, our little it's community comic books. Right. right? It's comic, it's comic book, book nerds. It's, right. Nobody knew who Marvel, any of these superheroes right. were. And now. It's right. A huge but then, but like this is where like comic conventions, Star Trek convention, Star Trek conventions yeah. kept the flame of Star Trek alive far better than Paramount ever did. Right. And right. now it's any booming. of the cons. Any right. of the cons. Right. right. And so like, hey, wait, huh? We know. We know this model, but we forgot it. Yes. Right. Uh, we know that like this is literally, literally that's the history of the United Methodist Church. We just described it like, hey, there's like 10 people here, and 10 people here and 10 people here. And then every year we gather at this convention. We called it yep. a conference, but like it's convention. Like, it's a we've, con. Yeah. We've been, just, we've been here before. Um, yes, we have. <laughs> and so, and the modern world is pushing us in that direction again. Like where... <laughs> There may not be enough of your particular vein of Christianity to have, you know, 40 people in a whitewashed box with a steeple. Um, And so church may be about the small community in your immediate area connected digitally and then periodically in person to a broader amount of people in a wider geographic area. And... That is actually just how many other people experience community in the 21st century. All the time. All the time. Yes. Right? That like I um, – this will not surprise anybody. Like I am a vintage video game collector, right? <laughs> no one else in my life really is. Um, in my life directly, right? Like, um, you know, my best friend grew up and he kind of left the game. He got interested in other things. It's fine. Jimmy didn't betray me, but like, you know, there used to be someone I could talk to about this. Um, (laughs) so I love going to the flea market. Um, and that's like my community space where like other, I, I 
hang out online with people who know all about this stuff. And, you know, we share interesting stories about the N64 DD, this super obscure, only in Japan version of the N64. And, but like in this weird little community, we all know about it. Um, and that Animal Crossing was originally a Nintendo 64 DD game. And isn't that really interesting? It isn't. Uh, but we sure think it is. Uh, and then when I want that experience of, but like in my neighborhood, there's not enough of us to like have a meeting, but like we all, those of us who are interested in this, like we go to flea markets, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the hobby and the like in person, and we go to conventions every once in a while. There's a great one in Austin. Um, and like that is the community side. And what I love about what the Amarillo church is doing is like taking this very modern way of being community, which is very distributed. Yes. And saying, oh, right, this too can be church. Yes. Right? Like, this too can, like, you don't need 40 people in Ranger, Texas. I'm pulling random now. Um, you don't, like, there may not, at this point in history, because of splits and, and whatever, or just because of the sec- whatever reason. A secularizing yeah. world, a failure of church outreach, all the other things we talk about. There may just right. may not, you know, I'm going to, I'll pick on East Texas for a second. There may not be 40 people left in Dieball um, who want to be... <laughs> I, I can do a lot. There's a lot of towns in Texas I can do with it. I've lived in a lot of it. Um, there may not be that critical mass. Like you need a critical mass to be able to have a, you know, a whitewashed church building with a steeple. And to an be able to financially support a pastor full time. Right. To be able to, you know, whatever you need to do. Right. Fill in the blank. And yet what y'all have said is, okay, cool. So we're going to build some really good digital ministry and we're going to really think about what it means to make the in-person count in meaningful ways. And like there are some local connections and there's some broader connections. Um, It can all be this thing we call church, but it starts from like, you know, y'all are put in here by circumstance, but the response y'all have come up with is like this really cool modern thing. Yes. And it speaks to that, that spirit of generosity that we were talking about earlier, because you're not worried about, well, we have to hang on to our resources because we have to make sure that we survive and we make it and that there's enough for us. It's no, 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 no. We, we have something, we can share it. We have, you know, pastors, we have resources, we have curriculum, we have support. Let us help you. Let us share with you that which we have been blessed with so that everybody can then thrive. Um, so that the mission of God can continue. But Emily, how do you enter that into a spreadsheet? <laughs> you can't count that number. It right. doesn't work. You can't work. count that number. The statistics don't work for this. It doesn't make sense. But it does make sense for the kingdom of God. Right. Because it's, yeah. I, the, I uh, uh, there's a friend of ours who I won't name on this podcast who, in a lot of denominations, not just ours, there's periodically you have to send things in to update the spreadsheets. Um, and I might sometimes have sarcastically said the purpose of worship in the United Methodist Church is to update the spreadsheets. Right. Um, and he just, he didn't send his, he didn't send in his reports. <laughs> uh, and that is like a tremendously rebellious act in a tightly integrated denomination. But also it speaks to that like the kingdom of God cannot be reduced to numbers on a spreadsheet. And mm-hmm. If we stop thinking about the things you would normally track on a spreadsheet, giving in-person worship attendance. Um, people in the pews. People, people in, in the Sunday pews. School. Butts in the seats. Right. Um, and start thinking about who are we connecting with and how are people spiritually growing and who has encountered Christ in the midst of this. Um, and, and, and letting go of a lot of those assumptions you can get somewhere. Not nah, anyway. We can go on and on about this. It's, it's the purpose of the one of the purposes of the show. Um, but anyway, you know, I know a famous person. I came. You know, it's not often. It's a little you know. weird seeing that picture on MSN's like yeah. newsfeed. I was like, yeah. oh, we're the homepage. That's right. awesome. It was, so. it was really yeah. You know, it was often often doom scrolling is a terrible thing. And here I'm scrolling through Twitter and RMS is X whatever. We're just gonna call it Twitter. It I yeah. you know. I call try to call people by the names they want to be called. I'm not sure I'm going to call Elon Musk's vanity project what he wants it to be called. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, scrolling Twitter and there is, I was like, oh, I know those people. 
<laughs> uh, if yep, you yep. would like to be a part of this conversation, uh, we have an email address that works. Um, at least for, well, there's one that works for now and the old one may come back. We may have fixed our ability to fix, create email addresses, but in the meantime, I have created the goodness of God pod at gmail.com. The goodness of God pod P O D. Um, at gmail.com. If you have thoughts that you would like to share with this show, email us there and we will read, we will gladly do a like user feedback segment of this show. Um, uh, one of the joys of podcasting is it can become this really participatory exercise. Um, and so please, please, please send us uh, your comments. If you'd like to know more about what we do here at Servants of Christ, you can just go to servantsnow.org. Uh, you can also find an audio version of this show wherever finer podcasts are purveyed um, or a video version of the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsnow on YouTube at youtube.com slash servantsnow or at servantsnow servantsnow.org slash media dash lab. Uh, this show is a product of the Servants Now Media Lab at Servants of Christ United Methodist Parish deep in the heart of Southeast Houston and is made possible by an innovator's grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you would like to support us, you can also go to servantsnow.org and help us do ministry. But it, but Right now, please go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.